wants you to know a lot of the episodes have mostly clean language, but this episode has some words in it that aren't meant for all ages. So, if you have kids like me in your house, you may want to put some headphones on for this one. You've been warned. Done, done, done. Diahoeth, which is welcome in Irish Gaelic. I'm Tim Wheaton. I'm the creator and host of the Daddy Unscripted podcast. Welcome to another episode. I'm happy to bring you this episode finally of myself speaking with KB, Kevin Browning, who is the manager amongst many other hats that he has worn and still kind of wears with the band Umphreys McGee. Kevin and I had been working on recording this episode for quite some time, so I was really excited to finally get this one in the books for you all, and it will be one of two episodes with Kevin. We also have a a very cool Fork in the Road episode that will be released the week after this one, I assume. So Kevin and I talked a lot in this first Daddy episode about many of the things that we feel are very important and meaningful about being parents. I think you guys will really get a lot out of this episode as far as who this man is and what he brings to the table in parenting and actually like got into the philosophies of parenthood a little bit more than I have with some of the previous guests. So I, I really enjoyed the re-listen of this while I was having to edit it. So I hope you guys all get a lot out of it as well. So with no further ado, here is Kevin Browning. All right, so we are here today with Kevin Browning, who is the manager of the band Umphreys McGee. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, thank you very much for making this happen. This has been a work in progress for quite a while uh, through your very busy schedule. So I really do sincerely appreciate you carving out some time to make this actually take place. My pleasure. So uh, we'll go back into uh, your history of parenting for this daddy episode as far as your dad and who he is and was at a younger age and what your relationship was with him as a child and all of that? Um, sure. So uh, I guess to just give a little a little context, my dad was um, grew up in a big Irish Catholic family uh, in the Detroit area, and he had six brothers and sisters. And growing up, that was it was always sort of the norm to have uh, these huge Christmas and Thanksgiving dinners where there'd be 30, 40, 50 people that were all related to me. And my dad grew up in a in a family that was a very sort of open and welcome household where he would tell me these stories of neighborhood kids who, you know, they, they would walk in and out of the front doors of their um, of their neighbor's houses and come and go as they please. And dad would tell me stories about one of his friends or his brothers and sisters' friends that would uh, be having a hard time and would end up staying at their house for uh, a week, and his parents might not even know it. And every morning for breakfast, literally, the, my grandparents would just feed whoever was there, whether it was their own six kids or not even their own six kids or plus four neighborhood kids or whatever. And it just it painted, it painted this very colorful picture of a uh, a little bit of a different time and and place. You you don't you don't hear much of that. Uh, anymore, but I think that 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 kind of open door style uh, stuck with me, and is something that that my wife and I have gravitated towards uh, as we raise our kids, and and just try to make it a try to make it an inclusive place. Um, you know, specifically my relationship with my father, like most, is you know was was full of ups and downs and complicated times and not so complicated times. And my parents got divorced when I was pretty young. I was about six years old when they, mm-hmm. when they got divorced and that that's complicated. It's messy. There's no, you know, there's no good way to, to kind of navigate through that. But uh, looking back and 
you know, I, I, I have the experiences that I, that I went through in the moment. And then I have the reflection of looking back on it with a different perspective, uh, which I've done, you know, at various points in my life, both before, uh, and after being a dad. And I honestly feel differently about a lot of those things at different points in my life. When I was, when my parents got divorced, uh, it was, um, it was confusing. It didn't make any sense. I didn't understand it. Six is a, is a tough age to kind of process why those things are happening and, and generated a lot of, a lot of anger and frustration. And it came out in, you know, ways kids, kids do stuff by, <laughs> yeah blowing up mailboxes and <laughs> yeah. vandalizing stuff. Maybe stuff I would have done anyway, just, you know, right, right. just a kid being a kid. But it definitely, it was hard and it was confusing. And, you know, as a little distance, I actually give both my parents a ton of credit because one thing that they never did, no matter how um, much they probably wanted to, was that they never, ever sort of talked down about the other uh, the other parent, my mom never, you know, now I can realize it was just seething in her to want to say something negative about my father, but she, she never did. And my dad did the same. And I, I never realized how difficult that must've been uh, as a kid, but how, how important that probably was to not tainting my feeling about either one of them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that probably had a, a more lasting impact than, than I realized uh, back then. But so my dad, you know, part of the reason they got divorced was my dad, he, he worked his ass off. He's worked incredibly hard his whole life. And, uh, you know, honestly, my dad was gone a ton when I was a kid. And I felt like, you know, the combination of that and then my parents not living under the same roof, I didn't see my dad nearly as much as frankly, as I would have liked to. And there are a lot of things that he missed that were important to me then. And it, you know, it, it bothered me to varying degrees. And I, I didn't quite, you know, I, I didn't quite get it. You, when you're a kid, you just kind of roll with everything, but it, it wasn't how I, I guess, wanted it to be at that point. I just didn't really understand. It. And as I got a little older, I, you know, I, I realized that a lot of that hard work was for and on my behalf. My father, um, I had two older brothers and a younger sister. I also had, um, I also have two stepsisters, when my uh, when my dad got remarried, and I realized that a lot of you know a lot of that effort that he was putting in was, uh, was so he could provide for us in a way that was was really substantive and give us experiences and give us the opportunity to um, to get great educations and to go to school where we wanted and to take trips and and so at sort of in college and after college I kind of worked through all of those things and uh, finally had a couple of those conversations with my dad that I you know, that I wanted to have, but was, was frankly scared and intimidated to have, um, just about, Hey, like I was kind of pissed that you were gone all the time. And what was it, what's up with that? And, mm -hmm. and it, uh, I've kind of come full circle on it. Right. Like I, I realized that, um, while I didn't, you know, while I didn't like it and while it wasn't my first choice that it was always done, uh, from a place that he, he was trying to do the right thing by a lot of people, myself included. Mm. And I was sort of able to let that, let those things go and understand that he, while I disagreed with it or while it wasn't the way that I felt like I would do it, that he had a pretty solid set of reasons for a lot of those things that he missed. Cause he was, you know, he was working hard to provide for us. So uh, that's, that's a long that's a long rambling answer there, but that's kind of the... That wasn't too long a rambling. Okay, good. Uh, what what was your dad doing for work back then? Um, real estate construction development. Okay. And when your parents divorced, did they stay? What was that situation like for you guys? Were you bouncing? Were you doing the half and half kind of thing? And was were your parents still close uh, geographically to one another? Uh, they were close geographically, only about ten minutes away. Okay, um, so that that made it relatively easy. Uh, I we I spent every other weekend at my dad's, so every other weekend at my mom's. But basically, lived at my mom's during the weeks, um, except for Wednesdays, which I would spend at my dad's. So uh, it was, you know, it's it is what it is. Uh, but it worked. Was your mom 
basically the housewife kind of thing or was she working as well? No, she was, uh, I hesitate to say she wasn't working because she was raising, <laughs> raising right, four yeah. kids as a, yeah, we all know what a, that's like. It's a full-time job. Plus, yeah. you know, the, the idea that a, that our society somehow views a stay at home mom as a simpler or less work than somebody who goes, you know, to a 40 or 50 hour a week job is, is sorely mistaken as that's an incredibly challenging and difficult thing to, to raise kids. Uh, that's, so my uh, my mom was around. She was she was the opposite of my dad in a ton of ways. Very mm-hmm. emotionally available, very supportive. Not that my dad wasn't supportive, but my mom was um, was sort of always there, always bending over backwards for us. And they had very different. They sort of had very different parenting styles. That again, with the benefit of of hindsight, I see real value in in both of them, even though they were pretty disparate. And, you know, one thing about parenting well is, is presenting a unified front between mom and dad. And my wife and I work pretty hard to, to make sure that's the case. Even if we um, have disagreements about that, at least in the moment you present a unified front and then you, you know, you work it out behind the scenes and, and go from there. But my mom and dad are really different styles and that sort of aggravated both of them. But, I I looked at it as, hey, you know what? My mom did these things really well. My dad did these things really well. I don't like the way each of them did X, Y, and Z. And I sort of taken my approach of I took a third from my mom, I took a third from my dad, and then I took a third from me and my wife. And at least that's how the, the basis of it kind of started. And then over the years, you sort of just morph into more of who you are. But they they both provided valuable insights both positive and negative did your mom remarry no okay so you didn't have a stepdad situation to deal with nope okay and how different uh is slash was your wife's parental situation from yours um uh, fairly you know her parents are still um her parents are still together you know in in that context it was uh it was very different, but at the core, I'd say there's actually a lot of, you know, a lot of similar shared values between our parents and that's, and therefore between us and allowed sort of an even playing field, if you will. We sort of both had similar outlooks on a, on a lot of things. And, and in some ways, um, my family did things differently than hers, mm-hmm. um, but it was, it was in the same, it was in the same ballpark, at least broad strokes. Right. And is your wife from the same area as you or no? Uh, nope. My, so I'm from Indianapolis originally. My wife is from Des Moines. We met, uh, in South Bend, uh, at college. Okay. But yeah, the, the Umphreys thing came together at Notre Dame and a bunch of us, um, came from all, all the Midwest basically between Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, and all sort of formed in, in South Bend at Notre Dame. And we'll we'll get to that in the next op- episode some more for those of you who just heard Umphreys and your ears perked up and thought we were going to go into that. We're not. Not yet. You're going to have to wait. So how much of your uh, discussion of your upbringing and your wife's upbringing did you guys kind of bring to the table before you had children or... Um- I mean, by the time we got to have, by the time we, we got to having kids, we had already sort of discussed everything under the sun at that mm-hmm. point. My, my, my wife and I do our best to keep a pretty open line of communication. And we, we have growing up when we, when we met and we were falling in love and we were, there's really no, no closed doors. And, and she got everything, the good, bad, and the ugly about my family. And I, I, the same about hers. And, and those things just naturally lead to conversations about, you know, who you are and what you value and how you would, how you want to raise a family. And, um, my wife and I also, um, delayed having kids. I mean, we met when we were young, we met, um, she was 19, I was 20. We waited until we waited to have kids. We were married for, over five years before we had our first 
uh, our first kid because we decided, you know, there's a lot of things that we wanted to do. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. basically we wanted to be, we wanted it to be about us for a while and allowed us to travel and see a lot of the world and be sort of selfish and focus on each other and uh, our respective careers at the same time. And so we had already been, you know, we met in 1999, we got married in 2005 and our oldest daughter Murphy was born in 2011. So by the time we got there, we had, uh, we'd sort of been around the block and then some, and we're pretty eye to eye on, uh, on at least how we thought we would, would want to do it. Mm-hmm. And her upbringing, uh, was there, you said that, well, you didn't actually say that your family was, your dad was in a, um, Catholic family situation. Was there any of that carried over to, uh, your immediate family? Um, yeah, I mean, we, as, um, we were raised, I mean, specifically to the, to the Catholic piece. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were raised, we were raised Catholic, uh, and, and so was my wife actually. And, uh, in our situation, the older that we got, you know, we were, we were raised, raised that way. But as we sort of got older, it was more on us to, uh, to decide, uh, from there. And, you know, with her, with her situation and, and her mom, and I actually give her, her mom a lot of credit for this, that she saw a lot of, she saw a lot of hypocrisy in, in the church they were at at the time and felt like uh, a place that doesn't value my daughters in the same way as my son doesn't seem Mm -hmm. like something I should be, you know, I should be making my kids do. And they kind of backed it off of it a little. And that, that was sort of the same thing that I was going through at the time. Um, so that's a, that's a complicated subject and one for another, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another yeah. And a whole nother podcast. But I, I, I just was curious. It's always an interesting thing, whether for this podcast or for another, how that, that side of it gets. A lot of times, I think, obviously, because of the generational difference, you know, you're talking, what what year was your dad born? Um, He was born in 46. Okay. So you're talking about a massive generational difference, obviously, from now to then, but even from when you were a kid to somebody who's, you know, in their kid and teen years in the 50s. And I'm speaking a little bit out of my butt here because I don't know Midwest life all that well, but I'm assuming that there's not much, not that much difference between Catholic upbringing and a sizable family between the Midwest or whatever state it may be in to now and how that kind of gets diluted as people are alive in a very different uh, societal America and I think with most people that I've talked to that kind of have that in their background, it continues to kind of get more and more diluted to the point of, you know, we have maybe a respect for what that was or what we went through as a kid, but that's not something that we are raising our families with unless it's a, oh boy, you're right. This is for a different podcast. Um, unless it's like a cultural kind of thing. You know, I like strong Roman Catholic families or Greek Catholic families or something like that, or maybe even Irish Catholics. But for the most part, that is a, can be an interesting tale about how that kind of gets watered down as the generations go and how people kind of, uh, open their eyes more, I guess. Yeah. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I, I tend to agree with you that, Broadly speaking, that is a trend that that we're seeing, um, and it's it's accurate in our house uh, as well. So, I, I think you're, you know, again, it, it's don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but I, I think that's uh, that's more the norm than not, at least in the the world that I feel like I'm living in, and the people that that I'm observing and friends around around me. So, yeah, uh, you can leave that. Anybody who has any kind of a grump with that, you can lay that on me. I was the one who did that harsh generalization. (laughs) I don't want to put you on any hot seats or whatever. Yeah, definitely a different 
podcast. We'll find the uh, Midwest Irish Catholic podcast and get you right on there right away. <laughs> can't, can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, bringing it way back, you and your wife going into that part of the changes in your life and uh, lifestyle. So this would have been Murphy is how old now? Uh, she is five. Okay. During, I'm kind of looking towards the sky and trying to do fast math in my head. At the time that you married, the band was kind of really starting to push off a little bit more at, around that time. Yes. 2005. Um, yeah, there was, uh, there was a lot going on and, and honestly, there were a lot of, we were gone. Um, there was a lot of shows in those, those middle years, 2003, four, five, six. Uh, I mean, there's, there's still a lot of shows. It's all sort of relative, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a couple of years there, uh, where there was a hundred and 150, 160 shows. And that's just shows. So you factor in the days off and travel days and whatnot. And, and you're gone a pretty substantial amount of the time. And that was, uh, that was hard. It's hard on a relationship, and it's also hard as you as you reflect on on having kids. And you know, for me, it was the same thing. It was I don't want to be gone uh, this much because one of the things, you know, as I said, one of the things that pissed me off was was not having my dad there yeah. uh, for a bunch of it. So uh, you know, that's that's another part of the part of the reason that we um, that we waited a little bit. But to your, you know, to your point, there was there was a lot happening, and and we've been pushing pretty hard on this thing for you know for eighteen years now, and that was that was certainly no different uh, around the time that we that we got married. And so, when you're having that conversation and and wanting to wait to have kids and wanting to have it be about you, are, are there certain kind of landmarks or different? spots that you're wanting to hit in life specifically, maybe even with the band or personally that you guys were also wanting to wait on, or was it like a let's wait five years? Um, no, we never put too fine a point on it. It, we felt like it would, the time would be, would be obvious when, when we were, when we were both ready, you know, there weren't strict benchmarks that we have to you know, we got to be playing this many shows or we got to be making this much money or we never, we sort of never went there. Shay, um, you know, Shay works full time and she was in the process of, you know, of growing and, and finding her footing. And we, at the end of the day, if you, when people sit down to, to try to decide whether or not they're going to have kids, you're never, there's, you're never going to be ready to have kids. (laughs) Like, yeah, as it, you know, you can make, you kind of got to just, just pull the trigger. But we had, we had felt like we had, you know, we'd been, we'd been together for a long time and we had been able to, to check a lot of those boxes and do a lot of that travel. And, you know, you start to get a little bit older and you realize, Hey, if we want to have three kids that, you know, by the time we do it, you start, you know, you start projecting the math and figuring out that Mm -hmm. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be 40 and having, having the last one or that's, it doesn't, you know, I just use a random, uh, (laughs) it's okay. Certainly can have kids at 40 by all means. It was just, just our conversations of like, okay, let's, you know, let's try to do it like this. And so just, just to, uh, so all of you are listening, uh, given that we're 25 minutes into this without detailing, I do have three kids, two girls and a boy. Our oldest, um, is five. Our, uh, middle child Bowie is three, and our youngest boy Teddy is is one. So we have them pretty pretty close together. Kind of, we kind of waited a while, and then once we started, we uh, we kind of clustered them to to try to get it <laughs> get it on and keep them close. Yeah. And did you did you at any point during that have uh, this has always kind of been one of my wife and my discussion about the gap that we wanted to put between the kids was we didn't want to have two kids in diapers at the same time. Did you guys have to go through that at all with any of them? Um, yeah, we, uh, we have two in diapers right now. We, oh yeah. We, uh, we ignored, I mean, our, our three-year-old is, uh, transitioning out, but we had my theory on it is that at the end of the day, it's, um, 
it's a shit show regardless. <laughs> it's true. So, it's so true. Um, let's let's not split hairs here and yeah, uh, over whether or not they can be in diapers or not. Yeah, yeah. I applaud you on being able to do the three kid thing. We still, I mean, when before my wife and I had kids at all, we um, were in awe of parents with kids and we we knew we wanted to but it was still like god how do you how do you do that and still to this day seeing parents that have more than two just astonishes me and i just feel like i would be so overwhelmed with that one extra kid that you're outmanned now yeah you go from uh you go from the the double team with one kid to a man-to-man with two and then you're running a zone defense yeah you're in your box and one now um, I, we found that the transition from one to two is much tougher than the transition from two to three because one, you know, one of you, when push comes to shove, can take a break, and mm-hmm. and when there's when there's two, now you're sort of both on a lot more of the time. But with three, it's just like it's already crazy. What's what's another one in the litter? Um, right, right. So we uh, we've even discussed four, but that that door is just a just about fully closed. There's a tiny mm. sliver of light in there, but that's uh it's a pretty heavy door that's uh, <laughs> that's shutting on it. So Yeah. Uh I mean I, we love we love big families. Like she's got she's one of three. Uh like I said, I'm one of six. Um we have um you know, I've got twenty nieces and nephews. Oh jeez. Um, you know, literally Thanksgiving dinner at our house is is forty five people plus and that's just immediate family that's not even right. aunts and uncles and and you know we we love that and we wanted uh, we wanted our kids to have each other as as companions and we're all Shay and I are both uh, close with our brothers and sisters and uh, we felt like that was a you know that was something we wanted to, to give to our to our family as well mm-hmm yeah, I was going to ask how many siblings she has as well. I I am the youngest of eight, so Ooh. I think that that kind of that pressure of seeing my mom basically buckling under the weight of all of us kids always kind of scared me away from having too many. Um, but we we started so late. I mean, I'm I'm going to be that dad already. That is. Uh, the story I always use is because my dad was kind of that way. They had me when uh, my dad was, I think, 41 or 42. And I remember uh, my dad being in the stands at some of my games, whether it was like junior high or high school, and my teammates saying, oh, your grandpa came to watch you play? And I would just like kind of put my head down and say, no, that's my that's my dad. So I know I'm already going to be at that uh, level with my own kids. So yay for jeans, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, so my wife, she has just her one brother. Um, her dad was also one of eight, but her mom was one of two as well. So I think um, she kind of, it was a lot easier for her to take that side of agreement of having less kids. And it was just a, it was a struggle for us in, in all phases of, um, pregnancy and getting pregnant and childbirth and everything. So, uh, we feel fortunate to even have the two that we have and we don't want to, you know, you get to that point where you can't really push your luck too much. Sure. Totally. I mean, the moms are heroes in every which way, shape and form the, you know, what you got to go through to actually bring a child into this world is, um, is really something else. And I try to, I, I make no judgments on the way anybody does it. Cause it's, you know, it's easier, it's easier or harder for some people at various, various parts of the process. And, you know, there's no, there's no one size fits all. There's no best way to do it. You know, I know some families that have, you know, that have a single child and it's, it's spectacular and they wouldn't change anything about it. And you can have a family that's, that's 10 kids and it works. And uh, to me, it's, you know, there's no, it's a futile exercise to, to try to impart your, your will or 
hey, this way works best, or you, mm-hmm. should, you should do this. I mean, that's that's not a decision that anybody gets to make besides the people that are that are bringing life into the world or raising a child. So, yeah, when you're in the, I mean, we've the one advice that we've most constantly given to friends or whatever is do what works for you and your kid. Like you, whether that means like, you know, we always said from the get go, we will never have a kid in bed with us, period. We can't, we can't imagine that people do that. And God, look, they, some of them get stuck, like their kids in bed with them until they're six years old or whatever. And if you have a kid that will absolutely not sleep and, for some people that is, you know, they go through the um, screaming kid and putting them back to bed 30 times a night and they get no sleep doing it. And they only have to do that for five nights and then magically their kid adapts. And for some, it's a month or whatever. And some kids just are never going to adapt to that until they're until they make that decision on their own, that they're ready to sleep in their own bed or whatnot. And we always said we would never do that. And um, here we are with our uh, now four-year-old who goes to sleep in his own bed, but in the middle of the night at some point, whether it's three in the morning or five in the morning or whatever, he comes and he wants to, he's a huge cuddler. He's a very needy um, kid that just wants to always kind of be with us and is kind of like that, you know, he's our little buddy and whatever. And if he wants that at night, what am I going to do? So, yep, it's uh it it's drawing a line in the sand about uh exactly how you're going to be bef- before things go down is a uh is a dangerous thing to do because you know the this like you said when you're sleep deprived and at some point it's got to be about well it's got to be about what works best, you know, not just for the kids but for you, for the yeah. parents because you got to get up and function and do your thing. And it's, there's all sorts of things you think you'll, we'll never do this. We'll always do that, that you end up going, geez, I didn't know. And I don't know what the hell I was talking about. Right. And, and can completely, I, I am still somewhat surprised, even though it really shouldn't be a surprise at all at how within that microcosm of a house of a group of people under one roof that are, you know, a family, how different one kid can be from the other. I mean, the absolute complete opposite thing will work or can work. You know, you get one amazing sleeper and you get one that is the worst sleeper in the world. You know, kind of like they say, if you have a angel child first, be ready for your second to be the devil or vice versa. Parenting is crazy. Uh, it is. It's uh, it's the most you know. It's the most challenging thing I think you'll ever do. It's also the most rewarding thing. Um, it's you know. It's equal parts. It's so. I mean, it's it's so fun. It's. I really derive a ton of joy from it. It's also incredibly nerve wracking and can be stressful and frustrating. And I mean, it 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 runs the gamut of of emotions. And we try to just remember that you know that it's supposed to be you're supposed to enjoy it it's supposed to be fun mm-hmm. and when you get too too far in the weeds about being overly concerned about you know am i doing am i doing this right am i screwing this up like it's it's you lose sight of the um you lose sight of the of the big picture and that is that it's supposed to be fun and you're supposed to you know, when, when you're having, when you're enjoying it and your kids see you having fun with it and being happy, that, you know, that gets picked up by them. And if it's constantly, if you're constantly yelling and stressed and nagging, that also gets picked up by them. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, again, it's really challenging to keep, to kind of walk that line because you got to lay down the law and you got to have, you got to have rules. And you, to me, it's, it's sort of about picking and choosing picking and choosing your battles. And, you know, my wife still, my wife and I still work on this regularly. It's like, you know, what things are, what things are really important. And there's a lot of things that you let bother you or annoy you that just aren't that important. You know, your kids are going to do, you know, especially as they, 
um, as they get a little older and, you know, they, they spend so much time figuring out boundaries and what they can and can't do. And, and I, f- I found myself saying no to some things where I'm like, all right, let's, let's think, let's pull back big picture. That doesn't actually matter if they do that. I may be mm-hmm. like annoyed by it or it may be, but it's really not important. And I, I've tried to, I've tried to put those things in perspective and just sort of pick and choose because they're, you have to let them, you got to let them go through a lot of those things on their own. You got to let them make those mistakes on their own. You have to, you got to give them the, the independence to, to go figure a lot of these, these, these things out for themselves without trying to, you know, without trying to come down on too much. So pulling, pulling that kind of back, how, um, how strict were your parents with you when you were a kid? Um, medium strict, (laughs) (laughs) a a four out of a five, um, or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, it's, I always, again, like I had two, I had two different scenarios. So when I was at my mom's house, it was a different set of rules than my dad's house. And that, Mm -hmm. that drove my mom fucking crazy. I can tell you that, but I never felt like they were overly, overly strict. I felt like there was a, an adequate amount of discipline that allowed me, you know, kids need boundaries and they need some parameters. And I felt like I, I had that. I also felt like they didn't keep me from doing a lot of the things that I wanted. So, and and I, I appreciate that. I appreciated it. Um, you know, not always then when you're, you know, when you get in trouble for something and you get a real consequence that feels like, oh, it feels like your world's going to end at 16, mm-hmm. at 16. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not that big a deal. Those are, those things leave a mark and you realize. So I, you know, on the, on the spectrum, I'd probably put it in the middle. Yeah. Um, but it felt like the right amount. And, and uh, now as you are parenting now, do you feel like you consciously at some times, even think big picture of let me think about who I am now. Let me think about some of those things that I did when I was younger and some of the consequences or punishments or whatever that were put on me or the boundaries. Do you kind of project those into your parenting of your own kids? Do you think? Um, I do. And Shay and I talk about this at some length that it's, I have a tendency to, you know, there are rules and you got to follow and that's, you know, period. But I have a tendency to, to value the independence over discipline to some degree. And sometimes I think that the discipline can, can be, you know, can supplant that. And I I don't ever want to crush a kid's will. And, uh, but at at the same token, and my wife is entirely right. It's, I've always believed that you got to treat them. I don't treat my kids like kids, if you will, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I talk to them like the human beings that they are. And we have pretty, you know, I really don't, I don't dumb it down. I don't, you know, they're bright, intelligent little people from a really young age. Mm-hmm. And I think that they ought to be respected and treated that way. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, my wife is entirely right that if you, you know, there's some things that you just have to have to be clear um, from incredibly young or the fear is that they'll take advantage and walk on you. And, you know, so that's, I would say the, I, I give, I give my wife tons of credit. I think she probably has the harder of the two jobs and that she's more of the disciplinarian than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't consider myself a pushover, but she definitely lays down the law a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I, it's hard. And I, that's why I give her so much credit is because of course, a lot of times that's, well, mommy, you're being mean. Like I want with, I want to be with daddy and I don't ever want, you know, when that happens, it's no, your mom and I are, your mom and I are in the same place on this. Like, but I know that it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard for her to see that. And so, but I, you know, I, I agree with her that it's necessary and you gotta, you know, she has the, I think she has the harder, the harder task a little bit. I, I think maybe, maybe I have a tendency to, to treat them maybe a little too much like adults when they're mm-hmm. two and a half years old. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I, <laughs> you know, there's, there's some things that you can't, obviously you can't get and you can't rationalize and logically work through at that age. But I, there's so much more of it that I think that you really can. And I think that long term, I feel, I feel good about the, you know, sort of the method of the way, the way that we communicate with our kids. And mm-hmm. my wife does the same thing. She's, you know, she does, she treats them. We expect a lot of them. They have, you know, we don't treat them like babies. We have high expectations and kids, they'll rise to that. And yeah, they'll understand that, Hey, this is, this is how we roll. And there's some things that some things will, that will slide on that aren't that important. There's some things that, you know, we absolutely won't slide on. I, I, I joke to, to Shay, I'm like, Hey, you know what? Our kids may be heroin dealers, but they are going to be the most polite heroin dealers you've ever met. Please and yeah. thank you with every transaction. You know, there's, there's just some things there's no, absolutely no, uh, you know, no way around. Uh, so since there is that kind of little bit of difference between you guys, is she kind of connecting with you when you come home, whether it's from you being at the office quote unquote, or whether it's you being gone for a few days or you coming back and she's kind of saying, okay, this is what happened with Murphy. And I want to make sure that you know what I told her, or is it, is there more of a common ground that you already are kind of in the know? Are the, I, I don't know, is, is Murphy kind of starting to take advantage of the mom and dad difference or trying to? Um, she, she certainly has tried to. We put the kibosh on that in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we feel like if you give it all, that you you set yourself up for success or for failure for the long run. So yeah. that's you know we we talk about it like even if we even if Shay and I disagree on something, whatever whoever said it first, that's the law for at least for the day until right. your mom and I've talked about it. We've decided that you can you know that this is okay. So. Yeah. You know, when there's something that needs to be communicated about, uh, hey, this is what came up and this is how it happened, um, we do it. Sometimes it's a, everything is a, always sort of a work in motion because, you know, a lot of time we're both gone. So we don't know until we, uh, until we both come home or, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you just got to, you got to roll with it on the spot. But overall, at least, you know, at least at this point, there, there's not, there's not too many things that have arisen that are, you know, these huge things that we got to work through yet. I'm sure, you know, I have no doubt that as our kids get older, it's going to get, it'll get more complicated and they'll, you know, they'll start getting a united front against you guys. And yep. They'll, they'll, yeah. they'll take the same approach. They, I mean, they, they, they already do that. They already, I, I mean, honestly, like uh, some of the things that they do, you, you know, you have to scold them for. And then Shay and I walk out of the room and we're like, that was fucking clever. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. let's get, like, uh, we we love the we love those attributes in our kids. Like I I like especially in my girls. Like it's that's a skill that is going to set them up for success in a world that sometimes has a has a strike against them. It's it's tougher and for for them to like assess a situation and come up with a strategy to get what they want. I, I value that and I, mm-hmm. I encourage it and, you know, you, you rein it in sometimes when they're clearly just trying to conniving, but overall, like that's a great, uh, that's a great attribute that we want to foster. Yeah. That's that, uh, that's an excellent effort. No, but I'm glad that you're thinking, are you giving, are you giving any kind of that praise to them or is that completely behind closed doors because you don't want to perpetuate that more no we we absolutely tell them like that's a good that's a good try that's a well yeah. reason but the answer is no and here's why we i think they also can sense it when you know they say something and our both of us will smile <laughs> and it's like you know they, they they get it they get that they're like they're trying to game it or they're they're pushing a boundary and or they're like maybe this will work yeah yeah I think that you got to let kids fail a lot on their own and figure out solutions on their own. It's a tendency when, when your kid falls down and gets to run over and make sure everything's okay. And I I get it. And I, I want to do it 
you know, I want to do that the same way because all you want is your kids to be happy and healthy and whatnot. But right. you also, the value that they will get from, um, from overcoming those obstacles themselves is something that you cannot teach. And so you just, you got to get out of the way. You got to let them do that. And I also think it's the same, the same way with, um, with risks. And a lot of times the things that parents and just people in general um, think are risky behaviors for kids to do, I think are really not necessarily that risky. For a kid, it just has to be a perceived risk, right? That they're mm-hmm. like in a situation, I mean, this is young at, a, at the park at a, on a jungle gym. There's a perceived risk about, you know, going up the the climbing wall that is literally six feet off of the, you know, the top of it, six feet off of the, the ground, right? Right. I'm okay with letting them get to the top and falling off. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to stand there and make sure that they don't slip because to me, it's, you got to let them, you got to let them take those risks so that they, they can overcome them. And then they figure out that, Hey, I, you know, I can do it. It teaches a, uh, you know, overcoming obstacles is a, it's a huge learning experience and it teaches self-efficacy. And if you're always where, if you're always there to assist them, they don't learn how to figure those things out uh, for themselves. And so I think, you know, setting them up for the big picture, the, the long run, letting them take some of those risks young and overcoming them, the, the sense of accomplishment that a kid gets when they have a problem and a puzzle and, um, and they figure it out on their own is, that something happens at age three, four, five, six, that is absolutely with you at age 30, 40, 50, 60. Like, mm-hmm. and so to me, I, I want to, you know, I, I want to let them do those things. I want to let them do those things on their own because I don't think you can, I don't think there's any way to learn that. Otherwise you can't just tell a kid to be resourceful. The kid has to yeah. get to figure that stuff out on their own. Um, so the, the, you know, those are things that I, that I want to try to give all, all of my kids. I think that, you know, back to that sort of independence, I, I want them to make those mistakes young and when they're, you know, when they're at home and as opposed to trying to just shelter and overprotect and not let kids ever be in situations where, um, they can make those mistakes. And as they get older and you get to be teenagers and they start going to parties and kids are doing, um, you know, kids are doing things that, that are risky. Like I, I want them, I want to be able to have conversations about that stuff, honestly. And I want them to be able to, you know, to, to understand and to experience that, that uh, those things as at a young enough age that you can make a mistake and, learn from it and move on. Like one of the things that I, that was really eye opening for me, my freshman year at Notre Dame was some of these kids who would come and, and they would get blackout drunk on a Friday mm-hmm. night. And I was like, Whoa, like you've, and I would, I would, I would follow up the next day and I would just like inquire about, you know, tell me about, tell, <laughs> tell me about, me about you, that. Tell me about where you <laughs> came from. Like, and the, you know, parents that would never let their kids they would never give them a long enough leash is a bad analogy, but they'd never give them, they'd never give them enough slack to yeah. go, to go do something dumb and to, um, you know, sneak a couple beers at, at 17. And then they get to college and they're blackout drunk. And it's like the, it's really easy for one mistake at that point to, to follow you around for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And so I want to, and I know it's going to be, you know, it's a challenging it's going to be a challenging line to walk and particularly with the sort of hyperactive, the hyperactive parenting and legality of, you know, something happens at your house or under your mm-hmm. care. And next thing you know, you're getting sued by some kid's mom. And it's like yeah. that stuff, uh, that stuff is on, is really unfortunate to me. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for any sort of reckless, um, encouragement or behavior. I just, I think that everybody has to go through making mistakes and figuring things out on their own. And to me, I'd rather have it happen when they're on the younger side and under my care. And when the consequences of it are a lot less than they could be, you know, once they get to a, to a certain age. 
Right. It's like trying some of the trapeze tricks while the safety net is still there instead of just going out into the big circus and doing everything and falling and to your death, basically to put it, to put it very mildly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So what was that kind of dipping back a little bit into some of that? What was that for you when you were a kid? What were, I mean, was that kind of your route? Were you given that kind of slack? It, it sounds like potentially a little bit more under your um, dad's eye, quote unquote, than your mom's. But were you able to kind of have that ability to make those mistakes and kind of feel your way through some of those boundaries and some of those potential risks when you were a kid? Uh, definitely. And you know, this was a difference between my mom and my dad. And you're right in that my dad, uh, my dad had a, an understanding that boys will be boys and they're going to go get into stuff. I would rather, you know, my dad was adamant about never drinking and driving and he drove it in, you know, he, it's just a point that he was so adamant to drive into us and you know, his discussing it now and looking back on it, it was, listen, you guys were going to be on a Friday night um, in high school. You guys were going to be out um, drinking beer or smoking pot. The, I don't want you driving around in a car with nowhere to go where you really could get into, into serious trouble or you could, you could hurt somebody. And, and so this was never, it was never, wasn't always overtly spoken, but it was, Hey, you can have a couple buddies over. Everybody leaves their keys with me. Everybody's spending the night and you know, you can have a few beers in the basement. And that was just, that's just sort of what it was. And, that gave us the ability to do what we 110% were going to do anyway mm-hmm. in an environment that was, that was safe and gave us the, you sort of get some of that out of your system. And then you don't feel like you have to, if you don't feel like you have to sneak around it and it, you know, every kid's different. Not every kid is going to want to do that or is going to need to do that. And, you know, we haven't sort of touched on it, but you inevitably parent differently to different kids because we don't all require uh, the same thing and something that you got to drill into one kid, the other kid got from the very first time you said it. So mm-hmm. you have to be, you got to be flexible enough and realistic enough to know that there's no one size fits all here. And something that my dad said young that resonated with, with me and all of my brothers and sisters. And I still think about how it's going to inform my decisions as a, as a dad, but my youngest sister um, my younger sister, Katie, you know, so it was three boys and then my younger sister, Katie, and Katie would ask my dad to do something uh, in high school and he would say no. And she would get so upset and she'd be like, but you, you know, she's like, you let the boys do the exact same thing at the exact same age. Like there's a double standard. And my dad's like, you're damn right. There's a double standard. <laughs> He's like, I'm sorry. He's like, you're a 16 year old girl not a 16 year old boy and, mm. and it enraged my sister, you know, and she was so, she was so upset with it. But my dad saw it as, listen, it's a different, it's just a different environment out in this context than it was for a boy. So I'm sorry you're pissed, but that's, that's the deal. It's the rules are different. And my brothers and sisters and I talk about that now, like inevitably, and they all have older kids than I do. And Every once in a while, something will come up and, you know, somebody will joke that, yep, it's just a double standard, like the, the old dad double standard. Like, mm-hmm. so we'll see, you know, my, at five, three and one, it's not, not so much of a, an issue yet, but I, I'm certain that at some point it will be. And do they all have mix of kids as well? Do they all have boy and girl? Um, yeah, my, my oldest brother has five, my wow. Yeah, there's so there's 21 nieces and nephews um, total just on my side. Just in four of you, that's uh, crazy. That's actually in six. But literally, we have three kids, and that's the smallest family size there is. Is is three kids? Which a couple of my a couple of us have three kids, but my older brother has four kids, and they had two kids, and then adopted two kids. Oh, okay. um, so there's a fun dynamic there. And then my yeah. my older brother has five kids, and it's a lot. It's a it's quite the matrix. 
Yeah, that's cool. In my family, my siblings, my brother who I work with here, who's a year and a half older than me, we are the only naturals. My parents adopted six. So I know about that different dynamic within the family. Sure. Which basically ends up being pretty much a moot point inside the inside the family. It's it's more of a difference to other people, I think, than anybody else. Yeah. That uh from my you know, from my experience, and my, my sister adopted one as well. And uh from my experience that's definitely true and even more so in our case because my brothers and sisters are all white and they adopted black children. So oh, okay. the you know the looks you get from people who are like just head scratching trying to figure out like exactly what the exactly what's going on here um yeah. can be you know you you get you get a little bit of everything um but it's you know there's it doesn't make a doesn't there's make, no love loss yeah there's the it makes zero difference inside yeah. uh, the family with brothers and sisters and cousins and whatnot it's it's uh it's just the per- perception from you know, from people that from outside. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way my, uh, the last child that my parents adopted was um, my Korean sister who the rest of them were all adopted before my brother and I were born because they couldn't have kids. And so they just kind of gave up and started adopting kids. And then miraculously, when my mom was 40, she got, or 39, I guess, with my brother, she got pregnant and then she got pregnant again with me. And then they adopted my Korean sister. And at the time, I think I was maybe four or five. And um, I think she was maybe nine or 10. So that was kind of obvious. I knew what something was kind of up with that one. Um, but with the others, you know, they're my brothers and sisters that helped raise me basically. So there was no real knowledge of that until people kind of started talking about it. And I only remember one time and boy, was I really pissed off ever. I was once in a fight with one of my older brothers and I regrettably said, you're not even my real brother. And I think that probably like in a movie that would have echoed and they would have pulled back from the house and you would have heard the echo and like the whole city would have heard it basically. <laughs> um, but uh, that was the only time that any, anything like that ever really came up. We all are very pretty close for how big our family is and how widespread everything is now. We, we don't do Thanksgiving like you guys do, which is one of the things that I definitely regret. I wish we had everybody together, but it would be sizable like your situation. I think it resonated with me when I saw somebody. Oh, I think it was uh, when Mary Welch posted a photo of Punky at, at CK5's light board on social media last week or something. And one of the comments was, it's going to be so rad when she is older and she realizes all the cool stuff that she did. And I think that's such a true statement not just about that, but in general, like of all the work that we do as parents um, for our kids that for me, I think I think about it consciously more than I more than not is this is something I want my kids to look back on. And, you know, I like you, I don't want to be away from my kids so much that that is a um, regret for me or a, you know, one of those angry thoughts that they have when they're older or, um, for it to be a situation that they are not looking back on all of these fond memories with both myself and my wife and having, a as many pleasant experiences as they can. And as many, uh, good positive learning experiences as well, that they're able to look back on when they're old and shriveled up like me. <laughs> Yep, no doubt. I certainly have the when I look back and and realize a bunch of the things that I got to do when I was young that I did not appreciate or at least did not appreciate nearly as fully as I maybe not as I should have, but as you can't really until you have a a little bit more perspective about the bigger picture. But I look back and I think of all these great memories that that were created when I was just being um you know, just shepherded around and those are some, you know, those are some lasting and, and incredible memories. And we 
we are certainly trying to to craft those same same things for kids. I also think there's there's real value in just taking your kids places and and exposing them to exposing them to to new ideas and to new people and to new situations and and cultures and you know that stuff makes neurons fire like crazy and gives kids context and allows them to uh you know to to think outside of outside of just their sort of day to day and those things are good for people i mean they're good at any age um but you can you can really expand the brain is such a sponge at a young age that you can really expand their horizons in a hurry and, and set them up i mean i think those things stay with stay with people for a lifetime even when they happen at, at young ages so i certainly value those experiences that i had and and try to do the same to pass them on to the next generation yeah and remembering like that you know there's you always kind of talk about the sacrifice that parents make and a lot of it is 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 really this a sacrifice of selfishness when it comes down to it really it's like these are things that you maybe want to do for yourself um or for yourselves you as spouses but that you are now having to kind of cut out of your life um for your kids but thinking about the sacrifice of things that you maybe really don't want to do that could be such great experiences for your kids that could be as small as, you know, going to one of those, um, bouncy house places or whatever on a, on a weekday or a weekend. And the like least fun place for a parent to go, unless you're one of the parents who gets in there and bounces with them. No, but you're, you're right. There's, I mean, my wife and I, we have, there's so many of these. We were just talking about a birthday present for, for Bowie. And it was like, we could take her to build a bear. And like, she's like, look at the look on your face right now. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, you're right. Like that sounds terrible. I'm like, let's just Amazon the thing. Two days. I'll be here. And she's good about reminding me uh, that those things are, those things are valuable. And and it's true. You know, those are some of those are, are sacrifices that are absolutely, absolutely just, we should make. And uh, so did you guys end up going? To build a bear, uh, we ordered it on Amazon. But, ah. <laughs> but in my defense, it was because they didn't have the one that uh, we knew our daughter was going to want. Oh, okay. She's been asking for a rainbow bear, very specifically, oh. and they 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 didn't have it in the Chicago store. So we, oh, uh, okay. I guess I lucked out on that one. Yeah, that's funny because my daughter just turned eight at the end of September, and. Uh, we took her to build a bear and uh, she didn't have anything specific that she wanted or anything like that. But it was, even though I, I really had to keep myself from uh, judging the people that were working there, they put on a pretty cool thing. Like they, you know, give it a birth certificate and they (laughs) gave my daughter a little um, sticker button because it was her birthday. And um, you know, they do this big, kind of presentation while they're making it and everything. It's, it's kind of a cool thing. And I will never say that aloud again. I only have to say it this one time and it's recorded forever, but <laughs> this podcast the, will self-destruct yeah, in three, exactly. two, <laughs> for the kids. It was cool. So well, at least we buried that right at the end. So yeah, <laughs> easily, easily edit it out in case I don't want that out there. All right. Well, uh, I think we've, pretty much covered the parenting thing pretty fully i'll give a little thing at the end of this but do you i should have you do this whatever social media tags you want to um allow people to find you or uh the band at you can run through your gamut right now sure you can find me on pretty much all of the twitter and instagram or uh at sound caresser one word i tend to post a fair amount of uh, pictures of my children to Instagram, as well as a fair amount of pictures of bottles of wine, which is a very key ingredient in parenting that we have clearly glossed over here. But I can tell you for certain, I would not have three children if it was not for fermented grape juice. And I mean that with the utmost respect to wine. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, and then all things uh, all things Umphreys you can find it at Umphreys McGee on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Snapchat, you yeah. uh, you name it. The yet, yet to be invented uh, social platform that'll be super relevant by the time some of you hear this. Mm-hmm. Periscope, <laughs> yeah. which which you guys briefly dabbled in. Yeah, Periscope kind of got I A B'd Periscope, and once Facebook Live happened, mm-hmm. um, the reality is is that the reach of I, I go where the people go, and right. the reach of Facebook Live versus Periscope is uh, not even not even close. Yeah, you're already connected to so many people there, and with the new, regardless of how cool the apps may be or whatever, getting people to also add this other thing that they have to be on. That's kind of the reaction I frequently see is, yes, you want me to follow you on what now too? Yep. Yeah. Fatigue is, is set in. All right. Well, um, thank you very much for sitting down and we will, uh, we will take a little break and record our fork in the road episode, which you guys will all be able to listen to. It'll probably end up coming out, uh, either a week from the release of this one or a week after that. So, Keep an eye out for that episode with Kevin. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Yep. Thank you. And there you have it. There is the first of two episodes with Kevin Browning, the manager of Humphreys McGee. I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. I know that to me, I will just say this. I threw this conversation with Kevin and through the re-listen of it during the editing process for me, it really inspired me to be a better dad, a better parent, and to think about some of the stuff that I encounter in my day-to-day with the kids and with my wife. And I just think that this was really a nice episode about parenting and what that can mean and what it does and should mean to a lot of people as well. So I hope you guys really enjoyed that. I will remind you that you can find Daddy Unscripted on its original website, daddyunscripted.com. That's where you can find some of the original posts that weren't even, bef- they were before the podcast was even an idea. So some of the original writings that I did, you can find all the episodes there. You can also find Daddy Unscripted on Facebook, on Instagram now, on Twitter. And you can find us, if you didn't, on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, all of those formats. So I would love to get your guys' feedback, which you can send to daddyunscripted at gmail.com. Let me know what other guests you'd love to hear from, what you maybe aren't liking or are really liking about the podcast so far. I love getting that insight from you guys. I've gotten a couple of really good ideas sent to me on new guests that I should have on the show, which I never would have thought of on my own. So thank you very much for doing that and keep that coming in. So uh, one more week and you will be ready to listen to the Fork in the Road episode with KB and myself, where we talk a lot about the uh, origins of the band Umphreys McGee and a lot of the process that goes into the brain trust behind Uh, A lot of the ideas that are taken into play, some of the decision-making process on different things. I really learned a lot and tried to ask some of the questions that you may not see in just every interview with somebody with the band. So I hope you guys check that one out next week. Thanks again for listening and until next time.